I was sitting there thinking about our staff with Tom and Alex and Brad and I realized, and I don't know if Karen's here to hear this, but Karen, I've finally become the soberest one. <laughs> now, unfortunately, we have had some losses in our church family this week. Pam Rhodes passed away this week, and uh, at 3 o'clock, the family will be receiving visitors. At 4 o'clock, we'll have her memorial service here at the church. Wilda Elliott, the mother of Rob and Larry Elliott, passed away this week as well. She'll be buried back in Kentucky, and they'll have a memorial service there. But they are going to have a uh, come-and-go visitation for friends and family here at the church on Friday evening, this Friday at 6.30. So if you uh, have an opportunity to swing by, that'll be encouraging to them. Now, as you can see, we have this beautiful backdrop here, and uh, we have a very busy weekend. We have the memorial service. We also have a wedding this weekend. And we have tried to convince the bride that this is actually a nice theme for a wedding. <laughs> I don't get it. But it's not really what she had in mind. So this will come down immediately after church, and it will go up immediately after the wedding. That will be on Sunday evening. And uh, this evening at 7.30, we'll be gathering to begin the process of moving the chairs from the north wing to the south wing so that we can set up for different rooms for VBS, the ones we can get into. And then tomorrow, uh, excuse me, yes, tomorrow after the wedding is done in here at 7.30, we'll come in and get this all set up. Then when they're done with their reception at 10 in the evening on Sunday, we'll go in there. Now, some of you are saying, man, I can't wait to get involved in all of that. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to meet you. Well, this next week is intense and uh, very important for the ministry of the children in this church. It, just a tremendous program, and it will be something they will never, ever forget. You might not be able to be here to help out during that week, but if you have a couple hours this weekend where you can help us move things and set things up, we would truly appreciate it. Pastor Alex will be in the foyer, and she has sign-up sheets for you indicating what we're going to be doing at what time. And uh, so we really appreciate your help there. I'd like to invite every man here that is a father to come up. I want you to stand right here along the risers. And I want you to look out and face the congregation. Every father here.
Okay. Now here's the reason you are there. We are auditioning for more men in the choir. <laughs> Can somebody give us a C on the piano? <laughs> okay. Now, folks, in our culture today, the greatest crying need is for fathers who are walking with God, who will help turn their children's hearts to God. And uh, these men are not just men. They are men who go to church. That makes them extremely rare. And it makes them men that need to be encouraged and men that need to be applauded. Thank you, fellas. can go be seated. Last week we spoke about Moses being the undertaker. And we asked the question, why did he murder the Egyptian? He could have ordered them to stop. He could have done a number of things. He was a high official in the Egyptian court, but instead he murdered the man. And then we asked the question, why is it that in marriage, People will be so mean to each other, say some very hurtful things. And we discovered that the answer to the question, why did Moses murder the Egyptian, and why is it we treat each other so awfully, the answer to both those questions is the same, because of not walking in the Spirit of God. And so we decided we need to study that a bit. And today is a continuation of that idea. When we look in the Bible, we discover Moses was a murderer. King David was an adulterer. Prophet Elijah was a quitter. The Apostle Peter was a betrayer. The Apostle Paul was a persecutor. But yet their failures do not define them. The forgiveness they receive from God and the power of His Spirit living in their lives, giving them, the, giving them the ability to do well. That's what defines those men. And so all of us have failed on some level, 
But that failure is not what defines us. What defines us is God's forgiveness and His ability to live within us and to give us a good life. Today, to lay the foundation for walking in the Spirit, I want to open your eyes to this powerful principle we're going to call the power of hope. The power of hope. The expectation or confidence that something is going to happen. Yesterday I was with a group of men. We meet on a weekly basis and we study the Word of God together. And uh, these, these men come from all different backgrounds and churches. And one fellow, Baptist man, was sharing with us what his pastor had shared with the congregation last week. And the pastor told the story about some scientists that did an experiment with rats. They took a tub of water and they put rats in the tub and they let them swim. They wanted to see how long they could swim. So they swam and they swam until they could swim no more and they drowned. It took 15 hours. So they took another group of rats, rats that were comparable in health and size and all that. They put them in the water and they had them swim. At hour 14, before any of them drowned, they took them out of the water, dried them off, gave them food, and let them rest. After they had rested, they gave them some more food, let them rest. Then they put them in the water to swim. Those rats swam for 72 hours before they drowned. And they were puzzled by it and wondered and what they discovered that there was a relationship. And the relationship was this, that those rats swam in the hope that someone would pick them up, dry them off, feed them, and give them a rest. It had happened before. And that is so illustrative of walking in this world. From time to time, we sense God picking us up, drying us off, feeding us, and giving us a rest. And then we get back in there and swim. But what is it that keeps us going? Hope. Without hope, we will give up. Without hope, we turn in on ourselves. And the singular purpose of all sin, the singular purpose of all demonic activity is to get us to a place where we quit hoping and we say, that's it. I'm, just, I'm done with God. It might work for other people. It doesn't work for me. So today, we're going to look at the power of hope. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John 3, verse 1, we read, Behold, John is writing. If he were speaking to us, his voice would raise. His hands would come up. He'd say, Behold, 
What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. In the Greek, that means what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. God has poured love out upon us that we should be called children of God. We're called children of God. Behold, look what kind of love God has given us. The world does not know us because it did not know Him. Don't, don't expect the world to understand the hope that you have. They didn't understand Jesus. They don't understand His followers. Beloved, He says, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There are a lot of people whose sole purpose in life religiously is to become so perfect or to reach a state of something that they have no longer a doubt or a fear when it comes facing the judgment or last day events. Folks, it tells us here it hasn't been revealed to us what will be. Why do we focus on it? We're already in Christ if we've accepted Him as our Savior. We can be no more perfect than Him. God does not see in us the vileness of the sinner, but the likeness of His Son in whom we believe. Now we are children of God. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. What hope? Well, we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of the second coming. We have the hope of an eternity with God. All those things give us hope. But that's not an experience where we've been pulled out of the water, dried off, fed, and given a rest. This is talking about past tense or present. We, everyone who has this hope, what hope? That now... We are children of God. It's not something we have to prove. It's not something that we can demonstrate. It's something that is declared from heaven above. God has saved us in Christ. Anyone who has that hope purifies himself. Folks, let's just, let's cut through the chase. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are going to heaven. Now act like it. Live in hope. It's going to happen. Not because of who we are, but because who He is. It's going to happen. We're going to heaven. But what does this mean? The person that has that hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Purify is hognizo from the root in the Greek hagios, which is holy. So the person who has the hope that they're going to heaven, they're not trying to prove it anymore. They're, they're just resting in the assurance of salvation in Christ. They sing songs like, blessed assurance. Why? Because Jesus is mine. In this context, to be pure, to seek purity, is to cleanse, make free from contamination, to be clean and to be holy. And in the New Testament, we discover that the Bible speaks of moral purity of heart, 
It speaks of purity of the soul, and it speaks of purity of self. Here it's referring to purity of self. I'd like to have you turn to the left in your Bibles to James chapter 4, and we'll look at purity of heart. Purity of heart in James 4 verses 6 through 8. But he, that's God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How can I purify my heart? My heart's the problem. The Bible says... I can't change myself no more than a, a leper can change, leopard can change the spots on his back. I, I can't change myself. The heart is deceitful above all things. How would I know if it was changed? So how can this book say for me to cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your heart? I cannot purify my heart. So I must be misunderstanding what it means. There's got to be more to this than me purifying my heart. When we back up, we get the clue. But God gives more grace. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace also can mean power. God gives power. And who does he give it to? He gives that power and grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives that power to the humble. Why? It's simply this way. Pride, in it set, it, the essence of pride is, I don't need anybody else. That's why God hates pride, because a person that is filled with pride does not reach up to God for help, and God is the only one who can help us. And God is so willing to help us. But, if I'm proud, I'll not receive his help. I won't ask for it. It's kind of like somebody having to meet a quota every week at work. And if they don't meet that quota, they don't get paid. And uh, week after week, they miss that quota. They don't make it. It reminds me of 1972 when I was a meat cutter living in Detroit, Michigan. One of my jobs was to make Whoppers for Burger King. We, we got these bowls in. I, I mean, it's the worst meat you can imagine. Now, if you're longing for a Whopper today, don't, don't let me discourage you, but I wouldn't recommend you gnawing on these carcasses. I mean, just old bowls that, I mean, they were awful. And we would take them and cut them up and we threw them in this machine. It was called the Hollymatic 1000. And you could hear it grinding all this stuff, grinding it all up. And then, in order to make that thing edible, we took shovelfuls of soy meal. You know, soybeans are good to eat. They make pretty good burgers, too. We would shovel it in there to make it tender enough to eat. And then once it was all mixed, I had to take some out and had a, 
had to be a perfect ounce and we laid it on a burner and it caught the fat off it. And at that time, I don't know what it is now, but we couldn't have any more than 25% fat in it. We're talking health here. <laughs> well, so I had to put the meat in there, add all the stuff, throw in the seasoning, and it would grind it up. And then the hard part was when it started making the patties. And this big vat of meat that was in there all ground up now called hamburger would set that machine would come alive and it had a conveyor belt and it would go boom 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 and a sheet of paper and a whopper sheet of paper whopper sheet of paper and a whopper and it would stack 12 high and then there was boxes over here and I had to catch those and put them in there and keep up with that thing if I didn't keep up with it I got in trouble but I'll tell you good news. <clears throat> there was a guy not too far from me, and I could holler, Keith, I'm getting behind, help! He'd come running, because he knew what would happen if that stuff fell down on the ground. We would be in trouble. So imagine you're at a place of work, and you have a quota that you have to meet. But you can't do it. So you go weeks and weeks and weeks without getting paid. But let's change the scenario just a little bit. Let's say it's your dumb brother-in-law who has that job. And he's gone five weeks without making the quota, without getting paid, because he simply physically cannot do it. He comes to you and he says, hey, I haven't been paid for over a month. I need a couple thousand dollars to make ends meet. And you begin to question him. Why aren't you making your quota? Well, I can't. Well, can anybody help you? Well, yeah, the boss has offered to help, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to ask anybody for help. Are you writing a check? If I do, I'm charging interest. Because that guy has been offered all the help he wants, all the help he needs, but he refuses to do it, and he's not getting paid. Do you understand in the spiritual realm what I'm saying here? God offers grace. He gives the power to do this. But the proud person that thinks he can do it on his own is not going to receive that power from God and he is going to come up short every single time. Therefore, verse 7, submit to God. What does that mean? Does that mean, okay, you're more powerful than me, I get it, I'm sorry, and I'm just, all right, do whatever you want? No, because I may be saying that in my mind, but in my heart I'm still exalting myself. That, that's not what it's talking about. It means to make ourselves available to God. It's the admission of our inability to do something without Him. It is the realization that we cannot do this on our own. It is actually acknowledging what Jesus taught when He said, without me, you can do nothing. When that begins to happen in our lives, God is able to work more powerfully than we ever dreamt or imagined. Jesus will enter the heart that asked Him to enter and Jesus will dwell there through the Holy Spirit. And in Christ's name, we have power. We can have no other way. And it says, when you submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why will he flee? 
Are you chasing the devil away? Not a chance. But Christ is, and He's living in you. And that's the victory. And we go on, it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. That simply means stop actively being involved in sin. But even that is condemning because have you not tried to overcome a habit before? <clears throat> have you ever said, I never want to think of that again? What happens? You think of it. There's a story told, I learned this from Dr. Vetrano when I was in the seminary. He said, the power of suggestion illustrated this way. There was a man in India that was wealthy. And uh, people asked him, how did you get your money? He said, well, here's how. The key is, whenever you eat rice, never think about the red-faced monkey. And if you never think about the red-faced monkey when you eat rice, you'll get rich. Well, what do they think about? The red-faced monkey. That's right. Have you ever been told if you don't put your tongue where you've lost a tooth, you'll get rich? What do you do? <laughs> you know, the tongue's going there. You, it's just incredible how weak we are. And so if you decide, okay, this week I'm overcoming that habit. I'm cleansing my hands. We'll focus on it all the more. But if we understand it in its context, we realize what is being said here. This is all done as I've submitted to God and He has given me more grace. Where it says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded is dipsukos from two Greek words, dis, which means twice, and suki, which is the soul. So it literally could be translated, don't be too sold. Don't be too spirited. Don't be vacillating in opinion or purpose. We'll never be successful <clears throat> if we have a divided loyalty. It's all in with God. And if we are, His power will live through us. And we will experience victory in our lives we've never had before. And we're going to experience hope in our lives over and over and over because when we get tired, God will lift us up, dry us off, feed us, and let us rest. And then we can get back into the swim again. Let's go to 1 Peter. Just go to the right couple pages. 1 Peter 1. And we're talking about cleansing the soul. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. <coughs> Since... You have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Oh, well, there you have it. See, how do you purify your souls? By obeying the truth. What truth? Is it a tenet of beliefs and practices? What truth are we talking about? Truth has many meanings in Scripture. And here it's relating to the truth that we must have faith in Christ to do this for us. Look, look how it goes. Through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. That's why they have purity in their soul. That's why they're obeying, because they've been born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So here we have it comes down to this 
When we're born again, we have eternal life. When we have eternal life, we have hope. When we have hope, we seek to purify ourselves. How do we become pure? By drawing close to the Lord and letting His Word have its effect upon our lives. His Word bears fruit of righteousness. These are incorruptible seeds. Ideally, we would spend time an hour a day reading the Word of God. And I don't want to diminish that in anybody's experience if you're doing it. Nor do I want to discredit it as an untenable goal. But I'm just going to be honest with you. That can be tremendously discouraging for many people to think their salvation depends on spending every day reading the Word of God or an hour a day reading the Word of God. I want to talk to you very openly and honestly today. And some of you may not like what I'm going to say. And I'm grateful you still have to love me or you can't go to heaven. <laughs> to be physically healthy, we're told if we will exercise for 30 minutes a day, three or four days a week, we will be healthy. Some people run six to 12 miles a day, every day. Do you know what the appreciable difference is between their health and the person who exercises 30 to 40 minutes, three or four times a week? Do you know what the appreciable difference is? Very little. There may be a physical difference, in that one looks like a greyhound and the other one looks like a beagle but <laughs> health-wise there's not an appreciable difference and what happens is this for 33 years as a pastor I have promoted Bible reading I have promoted prayer I've encouraged people to open that book I've done my best to teach people how to read the book and so forth and so on and I've told them an hour not an hour a day but every day etch out some time I've tried to teach how to read the Word of God and then meditate on it through the day all these things all these things all these things but there is a reality that has hit me and it's hit me hard just recently and that is that in many people's lives, I'm just creating guilt. Because if I can't read the Bible every day after three days, what is going to be my response? Why bother? I'm so far behind now. Why bother? Or where do I start again? So let's be practical. I will confess to you that I did not get into this book every day this week. I'm not proud of it. I believe you have weeks like that too. And what I'm trying to do is help you to understand that maybe if we had a more reasonable goal, we might have more hope.
So what would be a more reasonable goal? And here's where you may disagree with me. What if today we made a commitment to God that to the best of our ability, we're going to three or four times this next week pick up that Bible and read it. And I'm not going to hold myself to a standard of every day because some days I can't get there. And you, if you're certain mindset, you're saying that's impossible because you can do what you want to do. Well, maybe I don't want to that day. Is that good enough? And I know I'm not alone. Have you been so discouraged you didn't want to open the Bible? Three or four times a day. I'm sorry, that, that really ratcheted it up, didn't it? <laughs> Just shoot me now. <laughs> Three or four times a week. Some time in God's Word to let His seeds take root in my heart that they will bear hope. And when hope comes in, along with it comes the desire to keep swimming. Keep swimming. So I'm going to ask if there's anyone here today who would like to say to God, by your grace, Lord, with your help, I want to make that commitment. Three or four times a week, I want to spend in your word. If you want to say that to God, please stand. Father in heaven, we are your children. We praise you for that. And we pray that you will help us to make true on our commitment. We will try to read your word three or four times a week, beginning this week. And we ask, Lord, that you will put seeds within us that bear fruit of hope. And Lord, by Your grace and through the power of Jesus living in us, we intend to purify ourselves even as You are pure. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.